This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. Let's go to the bullpen with Adam the Bull on the Bet Rivers Network. We're talking with the great Terry Francona. I know everybody poo-poos baseball fights. They're like, hey, you go out there and everybody's just talking yeah. and shoving. But when you get out there, man, those guys are big. They they get after yeah. it. And when they get after it, man, look out. It makes you a little nervous. Robin Ventura still won't talk about Nolan Ryan to, to this day. <laughs> he wants nothing with that conversation. Listen to the bullpen with Adam the Bull on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Mike Francesa podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. This is not a regular player. This is not a pretty good quarterback. This is an all-time great. Is he a strange bird off the field? He's a little nuts, I think. Okay? That's his deal. Is he really weird? Yeah. You don't have to hang out with him. You just have to put on your jet jersey, go to the stadium, and watch him do his thing which is move the Jets down the field and into the end zone, which is something you have not had in years. Subscribe to the Mike Francesa podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. It's the Mike Missanelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to another Mike Missanelli podcast as we make our way towards next week's big game, the Super Bowl Eagles and Chiefs podcast episode number 50. This is a landmark episode. We're doing it on Friday, February 4th, 2023, sponsored by the people, the great people at Bet Rivers. If you don't have your app on your phone, the Bet Rivers app, you got to get it. You want to make those bets for this big Super Bowl game. You can make 100 bets, and next week we're going to talk about some prop bets. But today, a very special guest, a man who covers the Eagles. And I got to tell you, I was heartbroken when he left the Inquirer because the Inquirer is a special paper for me. But he's going on to bigger and better things as the Eagles beat writer for The Athletic, and he does a fantastic job covering this team with his partner, Bo Wolf. Let's welcome in Zach Berman. Hello, Zach. Hey, Mike. I appreciate the nice words. And I agree. The Inquirer is a special place for me, too. But as 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 I saw with you, right, time goes on sometimes. So you got to <laughs> yes. go on to new things. Time does go on. Yeah. Things change. But uh, you're you're in a great spot. And, uh, you know, I enjoy reading you every day. I think you, you guys do, do a fantastic job. But I especially like when you and Bo uh, go back and forth with the questions. But the, let, let's talk about this game. It's it, Listen. It's a dream scenario, I guess, for a reporter. You're you're busy as hell, but uh, you know the storylines leading up to a Super Bowl are pretty fantastic. It extends the football season for you as a, as a beat writer. Uh, so so tell me, uh, was this an unexpected ride for you? Where this team went? No, to be honest with you, it was unexpected in 2017. That team, you know, the the whole underdogs theme was very applicable to that team. It was almost like they were playing with house money that year. This year. Very early on, it appeared they were on path to this outcome, right? Now, you didn't know how Jalen Hurts would be. That was the variable. But the roster was absolutely loaded. In training camp, that was apparent. Both sides of the ball, they were loaded. What A.J. Brown gave them, what James Bradbury gave them, what Hassan Reddick. You couldn't see that in camp because you don't really rush the quarterback as much in camp. But early on in the year, you you saw what he could bring. And then I would say week two against Minnesota, that Monday night game, when Jalen was just outstanding, uh, throwing and running the ball. They put up over 30 the week before against Detroit. From that point on, 
I figured they could be heavyweights. And then when you saw Green Bay and Tampa Bay not and, and Los Angeles not have the types of seasons that uh, you, you might have thought they would have, it became pretty clear early on that the Eagles were favorites. Well, I'm glad you could see that. I, here's the one thing I didn't see. I don't know if you saw it. The, 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 obviously, this whole offensive thing revolves around the quarterback, and, and I yeah. did not see the evolution that quickly. I've got to be honest with you. It's, it's frankly been stunning to me because I've covered sports in this town for a long time. I don't think I've ever seen a guy go from questionable to MVP in that short of a time. It's a great point. I, I did not see that going into the year, right? I, I thought Jalen would improve being in the same scheme two years in a row, which he hadn't done since high school, having uh, upgraded weapons around him. Um, but I, I thought you would see him maybe go from, you know, you know like a, a solid starter last year to a good starter this year. I didn't see him becoming an MVP candidate. So that raised the ceiling on the whole team. And honestly, it's, it's, a, it's a credit to Jalen. I, I know there's a lot of discussion publicly uh, about whether the system bolters, uh, bolsters him up. But I think you saw in the two games he missed, the Eagles weren't nearly as effective running the ball without him in there. Uh, and he's such a good decision maker in terms of not turning the ball over that Jalen is the system. And he's he's helped by having perhaps the best offensive line in the league and having A.J. and Devontae and, and, and Dallas Goddard. But you take Jalen Hurts out of him, out of the offense, it's not the same team. So let's let's look. You know, listen, as a beat writer, you're around him. And, yeah. um, you know, he's... You know, I look at him and I got he's puzzling to me in a way that he's almost too ultra serious about him. So I've never seen an athlete that's ultra serious. He doesn't give you that much. So, like, what's inside of him from your observation being there? It's a good question because it's it's exactly what you see in that regard, um, you know, in terms of like the no nonsense personality the the way that he works that's that's very much the case and and honestly one of the reasons that they drafted him were those intangible characteristics and i remember uh talking to someone in the building this off season who was saying that that like you have no questions where jalen is at any time he's 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 working um now i think that behind the scenes one thing that that might jump out that people don't know is he's very capable of being one of the guys with the group and and he's together with other players um, quite a bit. And I, I know there's a natural comparison to Carson Wentz, right? Whenever you replace somebody, uh, but his ability to interact with all corners of the locker room, all sides of the ball, I think that's that's something that that jumps out behind the scenes. And part of it might be an age thing, whatever it may be, but, but he is, he's able to, to really get along with the entire locker room. He's got like a 50-year-old wisdom. It's, like, it's almost like he came out of the womb as this mature guy. You know, like, I, I, what, yeah. I, curious, like, I know his, his father was a coach and he's been around really good coaches, yeah. but yeah, so the guy that young, it's, yeah, I, I don't think I've ever seen somebody that serious about his profession or about himself. So you know, what do you think was the major influence with him? Certainly growing up as, as a coach's son, like you mentioned, and, you know, as, as he said, he was always around older football players like that's that's a, he, he grew up in a field house he, he grew up in a film room um so he was around older players but but then you you look at it and, and you know this well like the the factory that Nick Saban has down in Alabama and even though he he finished his college career at Oklahoma he's very much an Alabama guy right and he didn't just play at Alabama he started his freshman year at Alabama at quarterback brought them to the national championship game then um so the the spotlight is 
it's natural for him. He he was he he was in three national championships at Alabama. Then he goes to Oklahoma and he replaces uh, two Heisman Trophy winners and he and two number one picks. And he does the same. You know, he he's not a number one pick or Heisman Trophy winner, but brings them to the college football playoff. So I, I think he's very comfortable being the face of a franchise, being the guy, being in the spotlight, and and it was actually probably unnatural for him uh, to be the backup, right? Which I know he was at Alabama when he lost his job, but his first year with the Eagles, just his sheer his sheer presence, his sheer force of will, uh, the the leadership ability. I think uh, I think that was very much apparent his rookie year as well. Uh, it, it, yeah, it, I mean it's it's really startling to me. So uh, uh, w- w- let's let's look at this game now, and uh, I'm curious to know uh, your overall view of this game. It, it, most of the people, for the first time, like maybe all year, favor the Eagles to win this game. They, they haven't got really uh, a lot of respect all year, even though they were the best team in, in the NFC. So uh, this is a different animal game because they've got a great defense that can defend, but they're playing against uh, like like this master class quarterback who finds a way to make plays no matter what you do against them. So so what do you see here? Well, I think you framed it well. Patrick Mahomes is, is different than anyone else in the league, and I, I think that's going to be such a challenge for the Eagles. I mean, they have an advantage at probably – you know, 19 or 18 of the 22 uh, starting spots, but the advantage Patrick Holmes gives them changes everything. And I think, I think there's an unfair criticism about the Eagles that they haven't really played anybody. I mean, they've played 10 teams with winning records this year or 10 games against teams with winning records. But I think a fair criticism is they haven't really played a top quarterback this year. Unlike last year when they played this murderous row of of quarterbacks, uh, the group they saw this year is, you know, Kirk Cousins, Dak Prescott, Trevor Lawrence, and Aaron Rodgers in a down year is is that's kind of the best that they saw. So uh, you don't know how this defense is going to react to Mahomes, and I, I think that's that's the biggest challenge. I think the Eagles are the more talented team. There's a reason why they're favored. I think the Eagles can move the ball on Kansas City, and I think they can protect uh, Jalen, and I think they can I think they can get to Mahomes too with their front. But Mahomes has such an ability to make spectacular plays um, to extend plays to throw off script uh, that if the Eagles lose this game, it's going to be because Patrick Mahomes beat them. It's, it's not going to be because Jalen had a bad game or something like that. It's going to be because Patrick Mahomes beat them. Let's focus a little bit on uh, on that particular part of this game. We're talking to Zach Berman who covers Eagles for the athletic. Um, you know, the, the the wisdom is, okay, yeah, they're going to get a rush on him, but it's not going to affect him. He, he he gets rushes on him all the time. He still seems to make plays. And in a lot of ways, the more heat you put on him, the worse you are. So how how do they approach this game with uh, as far as the rush goes against that guy? Yeah, I, I don't think they're going to send heavy blitz. I actually think they're, they're really going to try to be, um, for lack of, of a better term, careful in coverage. Uh, I, I don't think they want to give up the deep ball. You know, if you see the, if you look at the Eagles Chiefs game last year, uh, and I know that was a different Eagles defense, but Mahomes completed like an, an an outrageous completion percentage. I think you could see something comparable to that in the sense that I I think the Eagles are going to be so cognizant not to give up the big play, and that they're they're going to try to force the Chiefs to go on these long drives if they want to beat them because you think at some point in that drive Hassan Reddick can get through or 
you know, Slayer Bradbury get their hand on the ball, something like that. You know, I, I think that's going to be the strategy. And, and if the Eagles lose with that strategy, it's going to kill Eagles fans, right? Because, you know, they, they, they don't like seeing uh, that lack of aggression from the defense. But I, I, I think that the way the Eagles are, are going to look at it is that the quickest way to lose this game is by giving up a big play and that they're going to try to force the Chiefs to go on long drives. Uh, all right, so the Eagles have run the ball 44 times the last couple of games. I, my, my sense is they're not going to be able to do that in this game, that the quarterback's going to have to make some throws. Yeah. And and last week, he didn't look really that comfortable throwing the football. So I know there's a gap here. He's got uh, more time to heal. Uh, did that worry you at all when you saw him throw the ball last week? Not necessarily. Uh, now, look, it, it clearly wasn't as good of a game at, at throwing the ball as he's had in the past. I thought the deep ball that he had to Devontae, that was like a 50-50 ball that actually went through Devontae's hands. Um, the numbers look a little different if Devontae makes that catch. The, he missed A.J. deep along the right sideline. He needs to make that throw. Uh, but I think overall, he's he's more than a month past the injury. He, he This is his third game playing. I, I don't think the injury is a concern. I think that, frankly, San Francisco's pass defense is really good. And I think that that affected him. And, and uh but I think overall, no, I, I, I think they'll be able to complete the ball against Kansas City. I agree with what you said. I don't think they can rely on running the ball as much as they did unless they're playing with a lead. I mean, their formula is to pass early and then run late. And if they're playing with a lead, they can do that. But if with against Kansas City and the fact that the Chiefs can score on you, uh, I don't know if, if they can rely on being up. 28 nothing at halftime or you know 21 7 at halftime uh okay so uh let's look at the story that you wrote which is a great story in Sirianni you know um I didn't really know what to make of him as a lot of people didn't uh I've since been really impressed because he's found a way to utilize uh, his best personnel and his best scheme uh and that, that takes a lot of uh soul searching and saying I have to do the right thing here and coach it this way um, you wrote a great story about uh, how he was influenced by his Kansas City days and uh, Todd Haley in, in particular, where, you know, he's schlepping around at small colleges and all of a sudden he has a chance meeting with Todd Haley, impresses Todd Haley, who brings him into the Chiefs. Uh, try, try to recant that uh, uh, the, the history of, of Sirianni and how he has built the way he is. So, so, so this is something you can appreciate, you, you know, as, as, a, as a writer, right, when, when – uh... When the Eagles hired Nick, I he obviously had that press conference everyone talked about, and and people didn't know a lot about him. I went up to his hometown in in Jamestown, New York. I spent time there with his parents, with his with his best friend, with his brothers, uh, or or I should say, with his brother, and uh, and and really tried to learn more about him. And and you you see kind of the the way he came up. He he also he's a coach's son. We talked about that with Jalen. He's a coach's son, so. He uses these these terms like connect and compete, right? Well, his his dad used to have the entire track team over for dinner on Thursday nights, right? So when you talk about connecting with players, this is how this is how Nick grew up. Uh, when you talk about competing, he was the youngest brother of three brothers who, you know, they 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 would his his life was watching his brothers play football and watching his brothers play basketball. So that's where that comes from there in terms of the personality. Uh and 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 then yeah he he went to Mount Union played football there was he he was a fine receiver but you know wasn't an, an NFL prospect did the small coaching route Mount Union Indiana University of Pennsylvania but actually when he was uh uh in his summers uh at Mount Union he bumped into Todd Haley who was then a receivers coach 
at their local YMCA. They got introduced. They talked football. And as it turned out, when Todd Haley got the Chiefs head coaching job, he offered Nick a chance to be quality control. And that's how Nick broke into the NFL. But what's interesting about his Kansas City years, he spent four years there. And it's mostly remembered on the outside as, you know, him breaking into the league, which is legitimate. But that's also where he met his wife, right? So, and his his wife's family is from you know Missouri. His his brother in law is from Kansas City, I believe. So he uh, he has a lot of Kansas City connections. So there's a lot of attention this week to Andy Reid playing against the Eagles. But back in Kansas City, Nick's Nick's got a lot of connections to that town as well. I'm fascinated by, and I always go back to this story because I'm picturing myself being the interviewer of Nick Sirianni in that initial interview. Because what we saw when he came out of the interview, got the job, and he was like, you know, it was like the high school pep rally that he, the methodology that yeah. he was using. And I'm going, what in the world would have impressed Lori and ben, and uh, excuse me, Howie in that meeting? Because I would have gone, man, you know, this guy's enthusiastic, but he's maybe a little too high schoolish for me. What did they see? You think? Yeah, that's that's a good question. I think they they saw the the ability to connect with people. Like he's he's a lot different when you're just talking to him one-on-one or when he's talking in a small group and he, he did not do well in that opening press conference. That's not a reflection of him necessarily though. I think, you know, part of it were the conditions in place. It was, you know, uh, it was the COVID year. It was the end of the COVID year. So he's sitting in a big auditorium by himself, right? There there's, he's doing everything over zoom. He he's, he's not one of these, you know, hot up and coming coordinators who, who's used to this big spotlight on him. Um, so he hears about the Philly media, right? And then he has a quarterback on his roster who he doesn't know if that guy's going to be here. And all the questions are about Carson. And he kind of, he, he's tiptoeing around that. So there are, there are a lot of conditions in place that I don't think where it's truly representative of, of who Nick is. But to answer your question succinctly, what, what they saw in him was, was that personality to connect with people and the attention to, to fundamentals and, and the attention to, to detail that uh, you it, it, it might seem like high school stuff, but this is where I think the high school stuff translates. Okay, Nick grew up in, a, in an environment where where you coach your town. You know, you coach the guys who are in it. So if you have a quarterback who can run, you coach the guy who can run. If you have a quarterback who can drop back, you coach the guy who can drop back. Right? I mean, you don't pick your your players. You coach your town. And the Eagles have a, a, a matchup dependent offense and defense, and that's that's what Nick wanted. So if you say what's their scheme, I'll say tell me who their their opponent is because they adjust week in week out, and you've seen that throughout the year. So I think that that um, approach to football also impressed uh, Sirianni and Roseman. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, and I also think he grew because when they started two and five, they were trying to pass the football because yeah. he came as kind of a passing uh, type of uh, uh, approval of a coach. Uh, and then they, uh, you know, they realized the best way to, to win games that year was to run the football. So, yeah, I, I, I think that uh, he, he's really impressed me for his adaptability. I, I, I'm blown away by, by the progress of, of certain people uh, in this whole organization and how they put this whole thing together. You know, Zach, when I have journalists on, and I've had a lot of them on this podcast, I always love to get into their background because I'm fascinated by how people get into this business. And, uh, you know, we had a, a long uh, conversation with Jason Stark recently where he, you know, he confessed at age nine he wanted to be a baseball writer, <laughs> which is like, like, you know, hard to believe. But I'm curious to know, 
like did this also happen to you was it was this always what what your your uh, evolution as a uh, a profession was going to be that you wanted to be in this business and as a football writer yeah absolutely so i i i grew up reading you grew up reading jason stark right and and like you know if if you're growing up in the philadelphia area at the time i i did in the you know in the in the 90s right there there were it was there were so many great writers uh and i I, I loved reading the Inquirer, loved reading the Daily News, loved reading Sports Illustrated. That's that's what I wanted to do. I, I was one of these you know teenagers who who knew exactly what he wanted to do. So I, I went to same place as Jason. I, I went to Syracuse um, for their journals and program, and uh, you know wrote and, and did radio my entire time there. And then uh, I went to the Washington Post, and I was covering college sports there, and it was it was great. You know UVA, Virginia Tech were the teams I was covering, but um, no matter what the Virginia story was, I, I could have the biggest Virginia story on Sundays. It was D nine and whatever was going on with the Redskins at the time. That was, that was D one. That was the big story. And uh, you know, I, I would travel around and see no matter where it was, anything going on in the NFL, that was the story. So you want to cover the story. And so that's, that's that I, I wanted to do the NFL and uh, I, I went to the star ledger to, 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 to cover the giants with Mike Garofolo. And, uh, you know, Mike was huge in terms of showing me how to cover the league. And then from there, I came to Philly and, and I've been in Philly since uh, 2011, 2012. But that's that's kind of the path. But I wanted to do the NFL because that's the big story. Well, listen, you're to be congratulated because you rose to a high level at a, at a, at a, in a very short period of time. And, uh, you know, that says something that means that people recognize your talent. And uh, so uh, I, I love the way you cover this team. And now tell me a little bit about the idea where you and Bo Wolf go back and forth questioning each other, because I think it's a highly entertaining read. Yeah. So honestly, one of the the big things when I left the Inquirer was 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 realizing that that there's there's different ways to cover a team than. Uh, than the way I, I did it for seven years at the Inquirer, and, and a big part of what the Athletic wanted was was personality, and you know to to inject your own opinion and analysis and things. And I, I'll be honest, that that was uh, unnatural for me, right? Because that's that's not what I did at the Inquirer. We we had columnists who did that, right? Uh, so uh, the the email exchange was was a way for for it to be a little more natural. When I'm responding to an email, I'm often writing differently than when I'm writing a story or I'm writing a feature and that it, 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 so it, it was meant to write more organically. And then, uh, the, the, the readers enjoyed it and we turned it into a regular staple from there. Uh, so when do you head out to Arizona? Sunday night. I'm there Sunday night through uh, the following, you know, through the Monday after the game. And, and you know what? These are the toughest times for a journalist because you you really have to generate stories right now. This is idle time. The stories aren't flowing through the air and landing on your lap. So, so what's your game plan to cover this Super Bowl? Yeah. So I'll be honest. I I I enjoy this because in the sense that you you've been covering this this story the whole year. I've been covering the organization for eleven years now. Um, when you're covering the Super Bowl, there's all these reporters from around the country, from around the world, who who they're just picking up on the storylines, you know, of, of next week. That's that's their first time with exposure to them. So the type of context, the, the type of context, and the type of uh, connections that you have with the players, with the coaches, that should really shine through in the coverage. So part of it's taking advantage of this week here. Part of it's taking advantage of the institutional knowledge that you develop as a, as as a beat writer, as you know. Um, and, and, and then when you're on there writing stories with a level of depth and insight 
that that go beyond the surface because if if you're in that locker room every day you should be able to tell stories differently and with more nuance than someone who's 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 just showing up for the first time this is definitely harder work than than just to cover a game this is really creative work that you have to do and uh, you know, I wish you the, the best of luck. I assume that your accommodations with the, the athletic has hooked you guys up with pretty good accommodations uh, because there's a lot of media outlets that come here and, and a lot of them have to stay in Tijuana and commute in. I, I, <laughs> I, you know, I think you're, you're like pretty hooked up, right? Yeah, we're at the media hotel. So we're, we're right by the media center and uh, it's a it's it's a bit of a drive to where the Eagles are staying. But uh, but but the league provides a bus for that. And and I assume it's going to be a nicer walk outside your hotel than it was last time you covered a Super Bowl in 2017 <laughs> with the Eagles. Yeah, man. I mean, Minnesota was as, as cold as I've ever been. So, uh, you know, I was just in a mall the whole time. I was talking to Chris Long the other day, and he was saying how, how just like every, every you know, on both teams, all the reporters just did not leave a shopping mall for a week. It'll be a little different in Phoenix this time around. Yeah, it's funny because I was there that week also, and I'm taking uh, uh, Ubers all around town trying to do stuff outside, and the snow's hitting you every which way. It doesn't matter what you, which way you turn, the snow's hitting you. So, I, And most of these, these Uber drivers are like uh, young U, U of M grads, recent U of M grads. And I'm going, let me ask you a question. Why do you freaking stay here? <laughs> like I couldn't. Man, like if I got out of college and I was a Minnesota guy, I mean, that would be like liberation. I could go somewhere where there's actually – weather that's decent yeah the, yeah they they when when minnesota was founded i imagine it was during summer right they they settled during the summer because i can't imagine it was, it was in the middle of january yeah i mean it's nice to start i talked to rich gannon he goes this is, this is the way i defeat it i live here in the summer for three months where it's beautiful and then i get a, i get to west coast the palm palm desert uh, where i have my, my house uh zach listen man it's a pleasure to speak with you i appreciate it i i can't let you go without uh, you giving me a, a prediction on this game i know it's early but what is your feeling right now yeah so I've, I've i've been going back and forth i mean the eagles are favored for a a reason and i i tend to look at the lines of scrimmage when when making my picks and i think the eagles are better on both lines of scrimmage to be honest uh so i'm leaning toward the eagles but I have such a hard time in general picking against Patrick Mahomes. So right now I'm going Eagles. But uh, again, it, it might be one of those things where I'm, I'm I'm sitting in my hotel room at 3 a.m. in Phoenix and I'm saying like, man, can they stop Patrick Mahomes? So uh, I'll 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 go Eagles now. But talk to me next Friday and I'll, I'll see what the answer is then. All right. So now so now you've introduced fright into every Eagle fan that's listening to this podcast because they want to hear you say no problem. But, but I get you. I hear you. I can tell you the fright about Patrick Mahomes is, is being felt in the Eagles building right now. He's, he's that good. Thanks, Zach. We appreciate it, man. Best of luck to you. Absolutely. Appreciate you having me on. Thank you. It's the Mike Nussanelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Oh, thanks so much to Zach Berman uh, as we discuss the Super Bowl that is coming up in just a little more than a week. You know, we talked a lot uh, in the conversation with Zach about Jalen Hurts. And of course, uh, you know, below the surface, all this fanfare of the Super Bowl and what Jalen has to do and how he has to play and all that is that Jalen also probably has to get paid. And this is a storyline that we're going to follow in the offseason. And I, I, you know, I don't know if it'll be influenced by the result of the Super Bowl or not. But he is on a rookie contract, and he is going to have to get paid. Now, I, I just went back and did a little research uh, on the uh, the top paid quarterbacks in the league. We have now uh, entered an era uh, where the middle class 
of quarterbacks are worth $35 million. Now, the reason why I say that is because Joe Burrow has earned a large paycheck. Uh, he is on a rookie deal, and he's got a, can be a free agent 2025. They're not going to wait till then. They're going to try to get him under contract right now. To get him under contract, if you go by the uh, amount of money that quarterbacks are making right now. So let, let me just go down. The total cash value uh, of a quarterback uh, ranking in top five right now is Aaron Rodgers at $59 million, Deshaun Watson at $46 million, Patrick Mahomes, $40 million, Kyler Murray, 39 and believe it or not, Derek Carr, 33 There's my point. Burrow is going to give 50-plus, okay? He's going to set the new plateau. He's going to get 50, which means that Mahomes' agent is going to wander right into the general manager's office and say, you got to be kidding me. you going to pay him 50 when I got my guy? So let's rework my guy. So we are now in the 50s. Now, here's Jalen Hurts. The Eagles strategy has, been, has evolved from Joe Banner. Uh, and Joe Banner recognized to get in early because the prices are only going to go up. Now, the gig is up on that because most agents see the, the landscape of that. And, and so... Uh, if you are the agent of Jalen Hurts and the Eagles come in, they go, all right, we'll give you 40 right now. Or do you, do you roll the dice and go, hey, you know what, in 2023, he's going to be a free agent in 2023. I'm going to bet on my man. And we're going to we're going to get like he plays 2023. If we, I have the faith in him to play that he's going to like he played this year, he's going to be worth every bit of dollar past Joe Burrow. So what would you do if you're the Eagles? What would you do if you're Hurts? Let me bring producer Darren in here. Darren, you just heard the uh, the data on that. Uh, and represent Jalen Hurts. Represent the Eagles. What shakes out? Well, I think it's important to note the cap did go up a little bit this year. I believe the salary cap, if I'm not mistaken, is at two just under $225 million. I think it's $224.8 million coming this year. Um, you know, Hurts... Hertz is going to get 40 to 45. I think he's going to get 45 million. He, he, somebody who's very involved with salary caps, a guy named Joe Corey, um, once explained to me that when it comes to the quarterback position, and, and it's just a matter of who's next in line. So if you're the Eagles, you probably want to get out in front of this. I know they don't really, and Banner was always the, the first guy, like you said, to pay guys for, for what they're going to do. With instead of what they they've already done for the organization, I think the Eagles would be wise here to to pay him before Burrows. Before I don't even know who else is out uh, that's that's available, but Lamar Jackson's probably going to get you know Lamar Jackson's a very finite, a different situation in that he has no agent. He represents himself. Is he going to have enough collateral legally to just come in and say, "Well, I want X amount of percentage of whoever got the last contract." That's normally what happens with the quarterback position. Like, for example, Hertz will come, like, whoever got the last contract, Hertz will get, I don't know, 10, 12 points over that last contract. The next quarterback that signs him, if that's Lamar Jackson, 10 to 12 points over that one. So if you're thinking that way, and that's the conventional thinking right now with quarterbacks, you're going to want to get Hertz signed sooner than later because it's only going to cost you more. Gotcha. Now, if you're Hertz agent, what do you do? You're waiting, cuz. You're waiting. Sit back. So you're waiting. You would you would you would let him play next year 
and wait and let him bet on himself. If I'm his agent, it depends on the money. If the, if the Eagles come in and say, hey, we want to give him like 38, 36, then he's going to say, you know what, I think we'll wait and see. But if they come to him with $45 million, it's reasonable, and it's the next highest, and it's right there, you take the money. You take, okay. the, you take the contract. All right. This is the, the, the beginning of what we call Mike Unleashed. And I'm just going to go on stream of consciousness, some various topics, sports or otherwise, um, that I, I'm going to banter about. So let's stay with the quarterback discussion and the Tom Brady uh, uh, retirement for the second time. He did it uh, you know, very simply, uh, just on a little video that he released, less than a minute. Uh, so there, obviously there are people that don't believe that he's going to be retired, that if something works out that's advantageous for him to play football again, he'll go back on this again, or he can go right into the booth for $500 million, which impacts Greg Olson, who now is the flavor of the month. Let me just say about this, okay? Um, if, if, if people are going to actually think that Greg Olson should be over Tom Brady in a booth, you're out of your freaking minds, all right? Okay, Greg Olson has done a nice job. First of all, he talks too much. Second of all, he doesn't have the clout of Brady. You can't put Tom Brady on your second team, on a broadcasting team when you sign him to that. If he comes into broadcasting, he'll be an analyst on the main game of the week, and they're going to try to find a new flavor. So that's my spin on that. But the other question is, do you believe Brady's retired? I do believe he's retired, but and I'm glad you brought up the, the broadcasting end of it because there was a lot of people thinking, oh, man, it's not the right time. It's not the right time, and I kind of agree. I would like to see Brady take a year or two away from the game. For this reason, I'm, I'm Brady fatigued. It's been every other NFL story has involved Tom Brady in, in some way, shape, or form for years. I would like a break from Tom Brady. Like I wanted an Alabama-less college football playoff and a Patriot-less NFL playoff. Come on, man. That's a silly reason. And by the way, how do you know how good he's going to be? What if he stinks? That's a silly reason because everybody says that they're tired of Tom Brady. He is what he is, all right? So you can't – I need a break. You can't You can't say, well, Tom Brady would fatigue. Well, I mean, Tom Brady fatigue. He's great. First of all, let's get to now the next subject on Mike Unleashed. How are you fatigued for a guy who's the goat of all goats? He's the goat of all goats. The most important position in sports is the quarterback position. He is the legendary number one undisputed champion of quarterbacks, which makes him the goat of all goats. How are you fatigued that a guy who's the goat of all goats? I don't know if this is a word, but anything and anyone is fatigable. You ever hear the expression, for every gorgeous girl, there's a guy who's tired of, you know what? And it's you know what it's it's silly fan crap and it's it's anti Brady anti winning it's a typical Philadelphia attitude we're tired of Brady and I'm here to stop it all right so let's get to the next topic goats in my mind the most important position for the most uh, watched game and hardest sport NFL gets the goat of all time so I'm going to give you my five goats. Brady, number one of all time. Let's go to number two where there is a dispute. It's either Michael Jordan or it's either LeBron James. LeBron James is on the verge of breaking the all-time scoring record. His assists are like, nobody's ever going to compile numbers like LeBron James has ever done. Now, at the time, uh, I said that I thought Michael Jordan was the GOAT, but that LeBron does so many more things on the basketball floor than Michael Jordan it wasn't funny. I said that 10 years ago. 
people came at me like crazy. So now that it's all said and done, and he's still playing at this kind of a high level, do you choose LeBron over Michael Jordan, Darren? I do not. I'm a Jordan guy. It was a tougher league. Of course you are. We, you're, you're a stubborn guy, which means oh, you can't open your mind to the, to, the, to the point that LeBron James has surpassed him as the goat of all goats in basketball. You are held back like most people locked in that era where Michael Jordan was your thing and the Air Jordan thing was all that, and you can't get past it. The NBA was tougher. In Michael Jordan's era. Oh, kiss my rump. The, the NBA was tougher. There's no better era in the NBA than right now with the athleticism, athleticism. and the defense yes, and, and, and the skills. It's not as You're insane. Guys like Bill Lambeer could play in Michael Jordan's era. He couldn't get a sniff of the 12th man on it on a team today. He broke noses. Right. They broke noses. So here we go. So the goats of all goats, one to five, I have now decided are Tom Brady. LeBron James, Michael Jordan, Willie Mays, Wayne Gretzky. End of story. See you tomorrow. No. All right. All right. Let's move on. Um, let's go now with uh, this this thing that's been bugging me now for several days. And, in fact, I had a, a little Twitter thing going back with our friend Andrew Brand, who's going to be our guest next week. And it was the the BJ Hill thing hovering over the reporter. And here's my question, not specifically about that, because that uh, that incident is over. My question to you, Darren, is this: Why do fans always side with the player over the media person? Uh, I don't know that they do. I know that they always and should always side with the player over the owner, but I don't know that they always side over the media. I think, I think of course they do. Have you not been paying attention? I, I think fans are trained to think that media members are out to get players. Okay, well there, there's your answer. Because in a situation like this, the blowback that I got for saying it was so irregular that that B.J. Hill was hovering over the reporters like Suge Knight, and, and, and he was trying to he was trying to cap some like some reporter who would ask a question. God forbid, ask a question. The guy's presenting himself to answer the questions about the play, and this guy's got to hover, and the, and the poor little scrawny media guy has to be afraid of, of Suge Knight in the locker room. Come on, man. I, look, I don't agree with it. I think I don't think that the media, most of the media, are out to get players. I really don't. But I think that that is that's like the fans are trained or inundated that's with the that. perception. That's and here's my thing to the people that are listening here. Okay, listen to me here closely. You people are knowledgeable about sports for one reason. Well, two reasons. You watch it and you form your opinions. But you get information from who? The media people that bring you the information on a daily basis. And they work their ass off to get the information. And so for you to turn on the media person, well, you reap the benefit of their knowledge and their reporting, you're an ingrate. That's what you are. You're an ingrate. They bring you the info, and right away you want to shoot darts at them all the time. And I'm sick of it. And I've seen all these players bully these poor media guys in a locker room. And I sit there and I shake my head. And I go, look at this abuse that's going on. There's bullying that goes on in a locker room every day. As a fan, you should be able to see that. That situation was a bullying situation. There. Now that's the end. I'm going to talk about that. All right. Let's move on. Um, Joe Mixon. Now, uh, Joe Mixon at the time, 2014, uh, we had a discussion on the radio. I remember it was clearly saying that I wouldn't touch Joe Mixon. He punched the, his girlfriend back then. 
He got suspended for the whole year. I wouldn't touch him. I don't care how good he was. I, I would not get involved in that. So here he is now with uh, uh, he, he's uh, there's a warrant for his arrest on uh, aggravated menacing, which is a misdemeanor. And his agent says he didn't do it. He's, it's going to the charge is going to be dropped. Whatever it is, he allegedly put a gun in her face and said, you should be popped in the face. I should shoot you. Now, a guy who's had that in his history, it's just a matter of time before it surfaces again. So that's the point in time where I said at the time, I would not touch Joe Mixon. Now, I'm not saying this because I'm trying to point out that I was right about it. What, what I'm saying is this kind of stuff has to be clipped and it has to be made an example of and we can't have this kind of stuff anymore and Cincinnati fans you need to look at the other side of this and and stop looking at him like oh my god he's a great running back who makes our team better and and look at what kind of person we're talking about here all right that's all I had to say about that let's talk about the egg crisis in America oh my god see this doesn't affect me because I don't eat eggs I've never eaten eggs I think uh, I don't understand the egg. It's It smells bad. It doesn't taste very good. It smells terrible when you cook it. But people love eggs. And uh, the, the eggs now uh, are up to, uh, an average in America, four twenty five a carton of eggs. Now, that's pretty low because I've seen it a lot higher in the grocery store. And the reason for this is that there was the avian, avian flu uh, killed a lot of chickens, but also... Uh, wheat and grain for feed prices have gone way up because of the Russian Ukraine because they're the key supplier. Okay, so we we all know uh, the the uh, the reasons for this. Uh, I was shocked to learn that the average person consumes how many eggs per year? Average person, Darren, how many eggs do you think the average person consumes? Uh, average person, I'll go two to three a week, so that's one hundred and fifty eggs. Two hundred seventy-eight eggs per year is eaten by Americans. So Hold on a second. You eat eggs all the time, and I'm, t- I'm going to tell you how. You make chicken cutlets? Oh, I know, listen, I know they're in stuff. All right. I, don't eat the, I don't eat the egg per se. Gotcha. Okay? If it's just an egg, I don't eat it. If it's mixed in a cake batter, if it's mixed in veal uh, parmesan, you know, where it's dipped in the I got it. I get it, but that's cooked out. All right? <laughs> I can't eat the egg solo is what I'm saying. All right, let's move on to the next up. Uh, I know it's nice to live in Boston. I know a lot of people like, live it, uh, like to live it up there in Boston, a nice t- little t- city. Um, yeah. Uh, guess what? This weekend, folks, uh, minus 50 degrees wind chill factor throughout New England. You can freaking have it, all right? <laughs> I am never. Philadelphia is about as cold as I'm ever going to get. I am not going to no- go north and and – Going to the face of minus 50 degrees wind chill where you got to uh, 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 shutter yourself in. So here's the question for you, Darren. Uh, would you rather have uh, extreme cold where you can be warm inside with the heat or would you rather have extreme hot where you can be cooled off by air conditioning? First of all, you only have to know me for about 35 seconds to know my answer to this question. I'm an island guy, sea isle, the tropics. I hate being cold. Philly, South Jersey is the furthest north I will ever go on purpose. I hate the north. I hate the cold. I will take extreme heat all day. I don't mind 105 degrees and humid in the summer. You know why? Because I can go jump in the ocean. I can go jump in a pool. 
or I can do whatever. I can have a nice ice pop with my kids. You'd rather be overly hot than overly cold. Absolutely. At okay. 365 days of the year. Get rid of yeah. winter. I'll take winter for Christmas time. That's all right. It. I probably I probably agree with that. Uh, all right. Let's uh, look at this one here. Interesting little story in the news that I read today about there's apparently a Chinese spy balloon hovering over Montana. And the first thing I thought about is, what are they trying to get the latest the Yellowstone script? You know, like what? Why? Why would the Chinese spy balloon be hovering over Montana? Can you can you explain this to me? No, I thought the same thing. They're trying to get the scoop on season five of Yellowstone. The Chinese guy up in the balloon going, oh, look, there's Kevin Costner. (laughs) The hell is going on here? And the Americans are loath to shoot it down. They're in position to shoot the thing down. They're worried about the debris falling on the the people of Montana (laughs) once they shoot it down. It's a developed. Now, you mean to tell me they can't just just fire into the balloon? And let the thing just float down. Like, what, what kind of debris are we talking about? I have a quick story. Can I tell this quick story? By, by, by shooting a balloon down, you're going to love this story. My dad used to have a friend that worked for Gary Barbera. And Gary Barbera used to have a huge uh, blown-up bear on the top of his car dealership. In the same way, Barbera owed him money. He took a rifle, sat across the street, shot the bear, and laughed and watched as it Deflated oh over top of the dealership. I mean, Same I thing. Mean, really, Same what do we need? Heavy artillery for that? I mean, how about if we get the Olympic javelin champion to fire one up there? I'll get the three guys in the bar playing English darts, and we'll, and we'll solve it that way. All right, uh, let's move on to the next one. I was really dismayed to read this story. The Eagles are playing the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. The number one Chiefs fan is Philadelphia basketball legend Rasheed Wallace. Oh, she, you are killing me here. You are the definition of Philadelphia. Simon Gratz, the whole bit representing Philly. You're a Kansas City Chiefs fan? And his rationale is that when he was a kid, the Chiefs were good, the Eagles weren't, and he became a Chiefs fan. And there's a Chiefs bar in this city. I, I don't understand you people, man. I just don't get you people. The idea of being a fan is being a fan of the team that reps your geographical area, and you guys missed the point. And I'm dismayed. I'm especially disappointed in Rasheed Wallace. Come on, Sheed. I give you a technical foul for that. All right. Let's move on. Apparently, there was an intervention. That's right. Tony Romo, the CBS people, said an intervention at his home in Texas because there are a lot of people complaining he's kind of mailing it in. Now, I don't see that with Tony Romo. I got to be honest with you. I like a guy who's a little glibber, is not overpowering me with stuff. And if Tony Romo's slacking, He's got a, a nice cadence to him with Jim Nance, and I enjoy it. So I'm not an anti-Tony Romo guy, but the whole world's freaking out because he makes $18 million that he's mailing it in. So apparently the CBS executives had an intervention with Tony Romo down there uh, telling him how to get better. And if I was Tony, I might not serve him coffee. I got to be honest with you. I go, listen, man, you paid me this kind of money to be this the way I do it. So there's that. All right. Um. That, I believe, will end Mike Unleashed for today. All kinds of subjects all over the place. It is now time for three questions for Mikey Miss. By the way, Brady affected that, too. Let's not be, uh, let's not be cool. Let's be ignorant to that. That's the reason that CBS went and sat with, with, with Romo. Yeah, but Brady's not going to go to that now. Where are you going to go to the other now? He's going to replace Greg Olson. He's going to go Fox. I'm all just right. telling you, Brady's messes everything up. because He's got to go away okay. for a year or two. All right, I three. know. These Brady haters. <laughs> three questions. The all goats. Miss. All right, uh, go ahead. Three questions from Mikey Mess. Mike, we had Jack Berman on earlier. 
Zach uh, grew up reading your stuff. Um, you were an inspiration to him. So give me, let me ask you one question here. First question of three. Give me a piece of advice that you would give to a young journalist now in this journalistic market. One piece of advice. Yeah, once you read, you can write. Once you write, you could do anything. If you could put cogent thoughts together on down a paper by writing, and I know that the opportunities to write aren't plentiful these days, but there's plenty of blogs out there that you can write for and you can cover stuff. Uh, to me, that's the most important skill in this industry. When you master that skill, you can take that to any level. You can take that to broadcasting. Uh, you can take that to podcasting because you have a command of the language. You can put thoughts together in your head that makes sense and you can tie knots and go from point A to point Z. So you have to be able to write. But to do that, you must read. And kids today don't read enough. Now, I was fortunate enough to read newspapers growing up. I know that's passe anymore. So read books. Read Internet stories. Read anything you can to people that know how to write. And you'll learn how to put thoughts together. And you'll now communicate better. And that means in, in this business about communication. So you master communication. You could do any level of job in this industry. Good answer. Real good answer. Okay. Similar to what you asked me. Groundhog Day was yesterday. Punxsutawney Phil. Now, this time of year, first of all, that, have you seen that festival before? Have you ever seen the whole thing that happens up there, the music and all that stuff? Oh, sure. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's, it's, it's interesting, to say the least. Mm -hmm. So are you, when even this time of year, I know we're both kind of summer guys, but are you looking for six more weeks of winter or in early spring? Oh, I can't wait for spring to get here. I'm dying not putting... Being able to play golf here to the point where now, you know, I have to travel. I'm, I'm, I'm Jones in the travel just to play golf. I, I can't stand. I have this idle time and I usually pass the other time. I go over to the course. I'll hit some balls. I'll play around uh, weekends. They're always defined. I'm going to play Saturday. I'm going to play Sunday. All that kind of stuff. So I can't wait for spring. And I'm, I'm making a comeback in my baseball career this spring. Now, I was all wiped out last year. I was going to play again. And I had the foot surgery. So I'm all healed. I'm looking for a big year. Looking for a big year. In the age group like baseball, it. hardball league. I like it. Good stuff. Got to get outdoors. I, what I wouldn't give, and it's been a mild winter. Let's be honest. I mean, we're a lot of 50-degree days for January. Uh, but what I wouldn't give for 57 in May right yeah, now. Yeah, but, but, but 50 degrees, when, when the turf is wet, you right. still can't play golf. And that's what, you know, it's moist out there right now. So now it's cold. It's really cold out there, so you can't get out there anyway. All right, the third question here, Mike. Super Bowl Sunday, what's bigger for you? What's bigger for Mikey Miss, the commercials or the halftime show? I, the halftime show bores me. <laughs> it really does. I, 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 I like the commercials because the commercials are at least I'd like to I'd like to uh, study what's clever. Now, these people in the industry, I want to see how clever they are to develop premises for commercials. Uh, so that's more interesting to me than, than the halftime show. There you go. That's three questions for Mikey Miss. All right. That sounds good. Uh, let's give a parting shot here. Parting shot is a question for you and for the, for the people out there, because I want you to think about it. And I want you to give me some responses by email. And my email is Mike at MikeMiss.com. This is a very interesting question here. There is a red pill and there is a blue pill. And I saw this on Twitter. Uh, the red pill, if you take it, would uh, restart your life at age 10 with all the knowledge you have now. The, the blue pill would make you jump to age 45 years old with $50 million in the bank. Which pill would you take, Darren? I've seen this, and I've put a lot of thought into it. Um, I, I would First of all, I'm 48, so jumping to 45 is not that big of a time jump for me. 
But I think I would go to 45 with that kind of money because of my kids, because I could invest that into certain businesses that I, I would love to, uh, to do now that I just can't right now and spend extra time with my kids for the next 10, 20, however many years that I, you know, uh-huh. they have me around. All right. Well, if I'm 45 and I could have 50 million in a bank, that's maybe the obvious pill yeah. I would take. However, there's a caveat here because um, I also have an appeal to start my life over at age 10. And here's why. Because at age 12, I was a star pitcher in Little League. And Mikey Miss in the championship game in Little League is spinning a one hit shutout, leading one nothing as we go to the top of the sixth inning. I need three outs to seal the championship. Now, there was a big crowd at that game. In fact, all my friends were hovering by the fence with their hands in the fence, waiting to come run, run on the field and jump on me. And all I need to get is three outs. I get the first two. The next guy up is a guy that I would wind up playing on the Bristol basketball team with. He was a star player. And he was the Little League home run hitter. And so he comes to the plate. The coaches of my team call timeout. They come out to the mound. Now, it's one nothing. I got two outs. There you go. One coach goes, I think we should walk him. The other coach goes, no, nah, I'm not going to put a guy on base. He's got two outs here. Yeah, he's going to get the third out, blah, 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 blah. I'm not, we shouldn't walk him. I don't know what the hell's going on. I'm a kid. I'm 12 years old. I, either way works for me, right? I kind of want to get the guy out, frankly. So they leave. I pissed him. I go 0 oh, 2. I throw him a curveball that bends his knees, and I throw a fastball for a strike. Oh, and two. Now, I'm a smart pitcher. I know I don't want to give him anything to hit it. Oh, and two. I throw a piece of crap. I throw a, a, a squirmy little worm ball that's inside, and it's like going to hit the, bat, the batter's box. That's how low it is. He golfs a line drive for a home run. Oh, I knew where you were going with this. No, it was so it was so low that my left fielder could have caught it, but when he was but it was such a hard line drive that he cowered away from it and the ball goes over the fence. Ties the game at one. Now I'm distraught. I'm so distraught I give up a double in the next hitter, and then I buckle down, I get the third out. But it's one to one. Now we go to the bottom of the sixth. I'm the second batter in the inning. First guy grounds out. I hit a home run foul. <laughs> the ball's foul and it won the game. They get us out of the bottom of the sixth. There was a rule in Little League that said the starting pitcher couldn't go more than six innings. I'm out of the game. We had to go to our backup pitcher. It wasn't very good. We lose the game in eight innings. The most traumatic experience in my young life. I hid out for three days in my bedroom. I know it's traumatic. If you walked away, you you would have 50 million. You still would redo that over. Yes, that has lingered in my life forever. Now, here's the upshot of the story. Years later, I find myself working in a business. And I don't know if I remember the show. We did it on the, uh, the, the station. It was called CN8, which is the second NBC Sports channel right, right now. And CN8 had a little talk show. Greg Murphy was the host. It was like a window pane show with writers in their regional network. Now, there was a guy there. There's a producer there named Joe. And so Joe knows that I'm from Bristol. He does that one show. He says, hey, yeah, you, live, you grew up in Bristol, right? I go, I go, yeah. He goes. You know, I live there now. I go, oh, yeah, it's cool. He goes, you know, it's a really funny thing. 
He goes, the other day I went to this barbershop. This old guy cuts my hair. And uh, the old guy, I'm in the chair, and the old guy goes, hey, you work with Miss Anelli? He goes, yeah, you work on the show with him. He goes, oh, boy, I remember he gave up that home run in Little League. <laughs> I can't believe it. It's 30 years later. The town's 30, been talking about it for 30 years? 30 years later, the guy brings it up. So you see how that tainted my life. You can see how traumatic that was if an old barber can remember the circumstance. Yeah, you got to take the red pill, man. <laughs> I'm going back in time. I'm going to be 10 again and wait two years, and I'm going to throw him a high fastball that he swings and misses instead of that piece of crap I threw. The guy's name is Bobby Mars. Bobby, God bless you. You were a great basketball player and wound up on by being on the same team with him that, that went to the state championship game. Uh, all right. So uh, let's end it. Uh, thanks so much for listening to the podcast, and uh, we're going to come back at you. Are we doing it Monday? Are we doing one? Monday, we'll have Jimmy Kemsky from Philly Voice, my old mate. I grew up with Jimmy here in Marlton, New Jersey. Jimmy will join All us. right. He covers the Eagles for the Philly Voice. We have Andrew Brandt on Tuesday. we got a lot of podcasts planned for you as we lead up to the Super Bowl. Again, it's Mike at MikeMiss.com. You can catch me on Twitter, MikeMiss25. And don't forget, download the Bat Rivers app. If you don't have it now, I don't know what you're waiting for because now's the time to get it. I give you college basketball plays every now and then on my Twitter. I hit one the other night, Maryland. I, I put the eyeball, the googly eyes out there. They watch Maryland tonight. They cash. So you can cash on those college basketball plays, but also you're going to make the big bet on Super Bowl. It's now down to a point and a half. So if you like the Eagles, jump on it, but download the Bet Rivers app. They're fantastic. Darren, have a great rest of the day. Everybody have a great weekend. We'll be back at you on the Mike Missinelli podcast. Tell your friends and neighbors it's coming up uh, many times before we get to the Eagles and the Kansas State Chiefs in the Super Bowl. Take care, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Mike Missinelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider.